بسم الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger. I'd like to begin this evening our second lecture concerning the topic of Mustalah al-Hadith or an introduction to Mustalah al-Hadith. Last week in the first lecture we discussed briefly some uh, points of introduction to the topic of Uloom al-Hadith or the sciences of Hadith and we said that we are going to use as the basis for this short course the book by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan Abdul Ghaffar his book An Introduction to the Science of Hadith and that book is a very brief summary of some of the matters related particularly to Mustalah Hadith which is one branch of the branches of Mustalah Hadith and last week we said we discussed first the importance of this study uh, is due to the fact of the importance of the Sunnah and Islam in Islam and we showed some of the verses from Quran and Hadith of the Prophet showing the importance of the Sunnah and that the Sunnah is the second source of legislation in Islam, the second source of the Sharia along with the Quran, not to be separated from the Quran but that they go together. And we also mentioned a general overview of the sciences of Hadith and we said that of the sciences of Hadith is that which deals with the texts, the books which collected the texts of Hadith which is in Arabic called Al-Mutun, the texts or the narrations or the reports of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is referred to as Al-Mutun those books which collected his sayings and actions and approvals and we said that Al-Mutun it is the plural Mutun is the plural of Metin and we said also that a hadith has two parts the text of the hadith the words which have been reported which is the Metin and that's what this section deals with Al-Mutun and the other part of it is the chain of narratives or the Ithnad the text of the hadith, that which is reported, and the chain of narratives through which it is reported. So the first part of the sciences of hadith is al-mutun, the books that report to us the text of the sayings and actions of the Prophet ﷺ, such as al-arba'in al-nawi, the 40 hadith, al-riyad al-salihin, the gardens of the righteous, and so on, sahih al-bukhari or muslim and other such books. And the second category is al-shuruh, the plural of shuruh, shuruh is the plural of sharh, 
And this is a word that we're all familiar with. Sharh, it means explanation. So the book in which the hadith of the Prophet are explained are called Kutub Ash-Shuruh, the books which contain the explanations, discussions, clarifications of the hadith of the Prophet The third category is the category that we will concern ourselves with in this study. It is Al-Mustalah, or the technical terminologies or technical classifications of the hadith. And the classification of the hadith into different categories according to different factors, whether looking at the chain of narrators or the text of the hadith or other such factors, the hadith are classified and these terminologies or these classifications is primarily what is dealt with in al-mustalah. Another category of the sciences of hadith is at takhreej <coughs> and at-takhreej it means the extraction or identification of the sources of a hadith. Yani Identifying a particular hadith, for example, in the Mala'amal bin Niyat, where did that hadith, where was it collected? What are the primary sources where it was reported? Yani we would say it was reported in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari, for example. Or another hadith, for example, Qalab al-Ilm Faridatun ala kulli Muslim. Where is that hadith from? We have to look into the books or the source books to see. That hadith is reported in Bukhari? No. Where is it then? Is it in Sahih Muslim? Is it in Sunan Abu Dawood? We will try to find all the source books and when we identify all the people who collected it in their books this is called Takhreej identifying its source and as well actually part of Takhreej in reality the complete Takhreej also includes investigating Ar-Rijal the narrators or the reporters in order to be able to determine the grade of the Hadith to say that it's Sahih or Hasim or Da'if or whatever Looking at the source that it came from and also examining Ar-Rijal. And we said Ar-Rijal or Ilm Ar-Rijal. Rijal is the pearl of Rajul. Man, a man. But it can be a man or a woman because the reporters of Hadith were not only men, they were also women. One of the most prolific narratives of Hadith was a woman, Aisha radiallahu anha. So Ar-Rijal, it means the identification and critical classification of the narratives of Hadith. Yani, the reporters of the hadith, to look at their biographies, to identify whether they were accurate narrators, whether they were trustworthy reporters, and so on. So this takhreej, looking at the sources, and ar-rijal, looking at the narrators, these are also two aspects or two of the sciences of uloom al-hadith. Uh, then we mentioned some preliminary definitions, and those definitions we will repeat again and again and again until they stick with us. Actually, not all of them are essential right now, but these are some of the important definitions. The first of them is Ilm al-Mustalah. And it is the knowledge or the science of the principle and rule by which the condition or state of the Isnad, chain of narrators, and the Metin text may be known in reference to its acceptance or rejection. Yani, the rules or principles that help us to identify what is the condition or state of a particular chain of narrators or the text of a hadith the words that are reported or the actions that are reported or the approvals that are reported from the Prophet to know whether that chain of narrators or that text is acceptable or unacceptable is it accepted or rejected these rules 
and these principles which help us to identify, to distinguish what is acceptable or not acceptable, these rules and these principles are what is known as mustalah al-hadith. It is the knowledge of these rules and principles. The rules and principles are what we refer to as ilm al-mustalah or mustalah hadith. The subject matter of mustalah hadith, it is the text or the, the senet or isnad, the chain of narratives, and the metin or the text in consideration of whether or not it is acceptable or unacceptable. And that's what Mustalah Hadith deals with, the determination of whether or not a particular uh, chain of narratives is an acceptable chain, or whether or not the text of the Hadith is an acceptable text or not. The benefit of Mustalah Hadith, and this is very, very important, the benefit of Mustalah Hadith is the ability to distinguish between the Hadith those ahadith which are authentic and those which are unauthentic or weak. Yani, mustalah hadith enables one to be able to distinguish between the acceptable hadith and the unacceptable hadith. Those which are strong, those which are weak. Those which are authentic, those which are fabricated. This is the main benefit and primary objective of the study of mustalah hadith in order to be able to determine a hadith if it is authentic or not. Should we attribute it to the Prophet? sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or not. Then, the important definitions that we took after that, al-hadith, al-khabar, and al-athar. These definitions you have on your handout sheet. But let me just say in brief, the most important thing is the technical definition. Al-hadith, the technical definition of al-hadith is that which is attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whether his words, actions, or approvals. That which is attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The other two terms, al-khabar and al-athar, they are similar in meaning. Each of them has more than one meaning. Al-khabar and al-athar, one of their meanings is the same as hadith. Yani all of these three words have a common meaning. Al-hadith, al-khabar, al-athar, all of them may refer to that which has been attributed to the Prophet The difference between them is that al-khabar and al-athar have a second meaning. Some people use the word al-khabar to refer to that which is reported from other than the Prophet. And in one of its meanings, you can say the khabar means that which is reported from the Prophet. But it also has a second meaning. Some people use it with a different meaning. They said al-khabar refers to that which is reported from other than the Prophet And likewise, al-athar also has that similar meaning. And al-athar may also be uh, that which refers to something which is reported from other than the Prophet ﷺ, or specifically the Sahaba and the Tabi'een. So, Khabar and Athar, sometimes they have the same meaning as Hadith, that which is attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, and sometimes they have a second meaning, that which is attributed to other than Afwan Muhammad, that which is attributed to other than the Prophet ﷺ. This is the important thing, that these two words, Khabar and Athar, Sometimes they may refer to the same as hadith and sometimes they may refer to other than the meaning of hadith. Then we have al-isnad and al-sanad. And al-isnad and al-sanad, both of them share a common meaning. Both of them may refer to the actual chain of narrators which extends back to the text. And this meaning is the same as sanad. Yani sanad and al-isnad, both of them may refer to the chain of narrators. The hadith, for example, that's narrated from Imam Malik, 
from An-Nafi, from Abdullah ibn Umar, from the Prophet This is the chain of narrators, the people who it was reported through. This may be referred to as a senate and it may also be referred to as Al-Isnad. These definitions are found in the book that we will study, but throughout the book, not in one place. That's why we made them as preliminary definitions on this paper so that they will be in front of you quickly. Uh, then we also had some other terminologies which, which are not of the utmost importance and muhaddith and al-hafid and al-hakim. Then you can review them. But try to pay attention, careful attention to these definitions and try to at least understand the technical meaning of these definitions. Also we had a list of important English references for the science of Hadith and the first three are the most important of them an introduction to the science of Hadith which is the book of Sheikh Suhaib Hassan which we are using as the text for our course of study the second of them is criticism of Hadith among Muslims with reference to Sunan Ibn Majah also by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan which is a bigger book and uh, is a little more technical, it's a study, a research and it's a very, very useful and important book. The third of them is studies in Hadith, Methodology and Literature uh, by Mustafa Al-Azami or Muhammad Mustafa Al-Azami. And it is also a very, very useful book concerning our topic of study, Mustalah Hadith. It is one of the uh, important books available in English. The other books are also useful. Uh, each of them has its own benefit. Um, but these first three are the most important and whoever may be able to get a copy of them it will indeed be useful as a reference and for further study in fact uh, some of the sisters are ordering some of these books if any of the brothers would like to get any of these books most of them are available but the first three are the most important uh, you can let us know at the end of the class and we will pass that on to the sisters who are ordering some of these books from England uh, this evening, we would like to continue with some introductory remarks that further clarify what is Mustalah Hadith and what we will be covering in our brief course. Because of course the topic of Mustalah Hadith is a very big and wide topic and we cannot cover all of it, but we will try to take those aspects of Mustalah Hadith that are the most practical and immediately usable yani those things that you can use immediately and benefit from them immediately there are other aspects of Mustalah Hadith that are more advanced aspects of Mustalah Hadith and are not so easily usable uh, and they will take more time for us to cover but in any case the topics of Mustalah Hadith that we are going to deal with uh, we will talk about that the first point in the lecture tonight that we want to deal with is that Mustalah Hadith it is one of the branches of Ulum al-Hadith as we said in last week's lecture the Ulum al-Hadith or the sciences of Hadith are more than one and from amongst them is Al-Mustalah the others which we mentioned is Al-Mutun, the text those books which collect the text of the Hadith alone number two, Al-Shuroh, the explanations of the book of hadith or the explanations of the hadith at takhrij identification of the sources for a particular hadith yani identifying that a particular hadith is reported in al-Bukhari and Muslim and Abu Dawud and Tirmidhi and so on and likewise takhrij actually should also include 
some reference to Ilm al-Rijal or the biographies of the Rijal, the biographies of the narrators, identification and grading of the narrators in a chain and the identification of the reporters in a chain of narrators uh, whether they are reliable or unreliable and so on dealing with their biographies, this is Ilm al-Rijal and actually in Takhrij, not only we identify the source books where the hadith has been reported originally, but also, it should also include something related to the narrators in the chain or the isnad, so that we will know whether or not that hadith is graded as sahih or da'if or hasan or mawdu'ah or whatever. Number two, an outline of what we will cover in this course. The first subject matter that we will deal with or the first category. And I tried to divide Mustalah Hadith into categories. The, the important categories that, so that we can put it in perspective. One of those categories is relating to the number of narrators or reporters at each level in the chain. And a chain of narrators in a Hadith first starts with the Sahabi, the companion of the Prophet who heard what he said or saw him doing something, etc. The first level is Sahabi, or Sahaba, the companion. The second level is the Tabi'un, those who heard from Sahaba. The third level is Atba'at Tabi'in, so on, those who heard it from the Tabi'un, and so on. So at each level, we will consider the hadith from the number of reporters or narrators that are on each level of the chain. So that a hadith, with, from this perspective, might be divided into two types of hadith. A. Al-Khabar Al-Mutawatir and B. Al-Khabar Al-Ahad Al-Khabar Al-Mutawatir we would discuss in detail but it simply means a hadith here the Shaykh has, has described some of these words with English definitions that are not always necessarily clear <laughs> but they give you some idea what the meaning of the word is about we have to actually now explain the definitions of each of these words so that they will be crystal clear what they mean with examples but in any case Al-Khabar Al-Mutawatir he translates it as consecutive it means that in consecutive levels or on every level that hadith it continuously or consecutively contained many reporters at every level yani when a hadith is reported through many chains of narration many such that it is unlikely or almost impossible to believe that the people who reported it could have conspired together to lie that's how many people, different chains reported it that's considered as Al-Khabar Al-Mutawatir it has many many chains uh, of narrative and we will discuss it in detail but now we are just introducing the idea number two Al-Khabar Al-Ahad Al-Khabar Al-Ahad it is single or isolated it means a hadith that came from a few chains of narration as opposed to mutawatir. Mutawatir came from many chains Al-Ahad came from a few chains one or two or three or four a small number of chains Al-Khabar Al-Ahad it is divided into three types Al-Mashhur famous Al-Aziz rare or strong and Al-Gharib scarce or strange and these are sort of technical definitions of these words or I mean linguistic definitions but the technical definition in Mustalaq inshallah will explain as we go along in any case Al-Mashur it is يعني, we will see, we will come to know that Al-Mashur is from is one of the three divisions of Al-Khabar Al-Ahad yani those hadith which only have a few chain of narrators 
Al-Mashhur, it refers to the one that has at least three or more chains of narrators, or three or more reporters in every level. Al-Mashhur. We will discuss it in detail, and all of this is contained in the book. But now we are just doing introduction. Al-Aziz, it should have two narrators in every level. It should come from at least two narrators in every level. And Al-Gharib means that it has one narrator on every level or on any one level in the chain. Yani a hadith that contains a single narrator on any level, even if it's only one level, and the other levels that has two or three or ten, the other levels don't matter. What we consider is the least number in any level. If the least number in any level is one, that's gharib. If the least number in any level is two, that's aziz. If the least number is three, that's mashhur. And if it has many, many chains of narratives, then that's mutawatir. Okay, this is a general idea related to the number of narrators or reporters at any level in the chain. It will be divided into mutawatir and al-ahad. And this is important to us, especially as we mentioned on many occasions, in reference to matters of aqidah. Because some of the people who deviated from the sunnah said that we cannot accept aqidah from a hadith that's reported from ahad, ahad hadith, not mutawatir. Only if it's mutawatir, they said, we can use it in aqidah. So this is an important yani, benefit from the study of the hadith of Mutawatir and Ahad. We will come to know that many of the hadith are not Mutawatir. Most hadith are not Mutawatir. Which means that those people, because of their deviation, actually rejected much of the Sunnah in matters of Aqidah that are contained in the hadith that are not Mutawatir. And we will find that many of those hadith which are not Mutawatir, which are Ahad, are hadith which contain information of Aqidah that we accept as part of our deen but they reject it because they don't accept hadith ahad. The second consideration is relating to the acceptance or, je- or rejection of a particular hadith. Yani, the second consideration how we will look at the hadith are those hadith which are acceptable or those hadith which are rejected or unacceptable. A. Al-Khabar Al-Makbul It means, Makbul, it means acceptable report or acceptable report. B. Al-Khabar Al-Mardud It means rejected reports. So there are two types related to the matter of whether or not a hadith is accepted or unaccepted. There's Al-Makbul, the acceptable report, and there's Mardud, the rejected reports. Under A. Al-Khabar Al-Makbul, the acceptable reports, we have three or four categories that are mentioned here. Under acceptable reports, we have four categories. The two main categories is Al-Sahih, and Al-Hasan. The two main categories of acceptable hadith is Al-Sahih, which he translates here as sound or authentic, and Al-Hasan, good. Okay, these are the two main categories, and each of them has a subcategory. Al-Sahih means a hadith that is very, very strong in its authenticity, and we accept it as a proof in our deen, whether in matters of law or in matters of aqidah and so on. Al-Hasan, it means also a reliable and good hadith which is acceptable to be used in matters of law and in matters of aqidah but its degree of authenticity is less than a sahih it's not as strong as sahih but we accept it after examination as being a legitimate uh, report from the prophet sallallahu and therefore we can use it in our religion in matters in legal matters as well as in aqidah so as sahih and al-hasan 
are the two main categories of the of the al-khabar al-maqbool or the reports which are acceptable. They each have a subcategory: sahih li-ghayrihi and hasan li-ghayrihi. As-sahih li-ghayrihi it means that it is recognized or considered as sahih due to the support of other narrations. And al-hasan li-ghayrihi it means that it is considered as hasan due to support from other narrations. That means that if we say a hadith is sahih li-ghayrihi it means that that hadith by itself would not have been considered sahih. It would have been hasan because it's not that strong. But when we found support from other narrations of hadith that bring the same meaning, because of that it's raised up from hasan to the level of sahih. But we call it sahih li ghayrihi because it wasn't sahih independent by itself. But it only became to the level of sahih due to support from other narrations. And likewise, al-hasan li ghayrihi, it means a hadith that wasn't initially by itself, independent by itself, it wasn't considered as hasan. Hasan li It means it's hasan due to support from other narrations. That means that hadith, it was in the level of da'if. But slight weakness, not a major weakness. It has a slight weakness, but originally by itself we said that it is da'if. But because we found other supporting narrations from other hadith which support the meaning that came in that hadith, we came to accept it as being a hasan hadith. But hasan due to support from other narrations. So we say Hassan li-ghayrihi. Okay? These are the main categories of the khabar al-maqbool or acceptable reports. As-sahih and al-hasan and under as-sahih and hasan are subcategories as-sahih li-ghayrihi and hasan li-ghayrihi. B, al-khabar al-mardood, rejected reports. Under rejected reports, actually there are many categories, but the main category of rejected reports is da'if, and some scholars also classified and the rejected reports al-mawdu'ah but actually mawdu'ah it means fabricated or forged and in reality al-hadith al-mawdu'ah is not considered along with al-da'if because al-da'if it is a hadith which has some major defect in it so we don't accept it as a proof in our religion but it is still possible that it could have been a saying of the Prophet ﷺ, except that because there's a break in the chain or there's a reporter who had a bad memory. So we are careful not to attribute it to the Prophet. We fear that that person had a bad memory or the break in the chain. It may be someone missing, a missing link who is a bad narrator and we don't know who he is. Therefore that hadith, to take precautions, is classified as da'if. So we don't use it as a proof. But there's really the possibility that it could have been really a statement or an action of the Prophet ﷺ. But because we are careful, the scholars were very careful in accepting things that were reported from the Prophet ﷺ because it is a matter of deen. It is a matter of deen. For that reason, when there is a doubt, then we've said da'if, we don't take it. As for al-mawdu'ah, al-mawdu'ah is fabricated. For sure it is not a, a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Al-mawdu'ah is fabricated, that which is forged. It is a lie that someone attributed to the Prophet ﷺ fabricated. It's not a hadith at all. There is no any consideration that it may be a hadith or a saying of the Prophet ﷺ. So under this category, al-khabar, al-mardud, we said we have the hadith al-da'if. And the types of da'if hadith are many and we will discuss them as we go along. Uh, here, related to al-khabar, al-mardud, al-da'if hadith, we said that there are three factors. Two main factors 
that are the reasons why hadith may be rejected or considered da'if. There are two main considerations. The first of them is a break in the chain of narrators. And the second of them is critical remark concerning any one of the narrators. These are the two important considerations. And the third consideration is al-jihala, birrawi. It means that a particular narrator or reporter that person's credibility has not been confirmed. A jihala literally means unknown or ignorant. But it doesn't really mean here that the person is absolutely unknown. But what it more importantly means is that person's credibility as a reporter of hadith has not been confirmed. Therefore, he comes under this category. The actual technical meaning of a jihala we will discuss in detail. It is primarily of two types. Al-ayn wal hal the person who only one person reported from him and they didn't uh, they didn't give him accreditation or certification and al-hal jihalat al-hal it means that the person two or more people narrated from him two or more narrated from him we know who he is at least two or more people narrated from him but they didn't certify him the first one is only one person narrated from him we know who he is but only one person narrated from him and, and nobody certified him and the other one, two or more narrated him but also he wasn't certified so this one is called this comes under the category of jihala it is literally an unknown narrator but it's not really unknown but what is unknown is his credibility nobody has certified him anyway we will discuss this in more detail as we go along concerning the first two reasons for hadith to be rejected or considered da'if we said that they are breaking the chain or critical marks concerning the narrative. As for a break in the chain of narratives, there are many types of hadith or classifications of hadith due to a break in the chain. From amongst them is al-mu'allaq, hanging or su- suspended. It means that there is a break in the chain from the one who collected the hadith, such as al-imam Abu Dawood. He collected hadith in his book, the Sunan of Abu Dawood. If he narrated the hadith without reporting the shaykh, who he reported from or his sheikh and the sheikh of the sheikh from that side of the one who collected it in the book of Abu Dawood or Bukhari or Muslim if the break is there this is called Mu'allaq in any case we will discuss this as we go along in more detail Al-Mursal is a hadith he, trans- he translates here as Harid but actually the meaning of Mursal it is a hadith which has been reported primarily from a tabi'i, student of sahaba, second generation of Muslims, reported from a tabi'i, directly from the prophet, yani a tabi'i like Hassan al-Basri, or Sa'id ibn Musayyid, said, the prophet said, or the prophet did, that means it's mursal, there's a break, because tabi'i is a person who didn't meet the prophet, he never saw the prophet and he didn't hear anything from him, how can he say the prophet said, it has to be somebody else that he heard it from, who heard it from the prophet, so this is a mursal hadith, it means the tabi narrates a hadith and he doesn't identify who is the sahabi that he heard it from. Anyway, it, this requires some explanation. When, when we get to mursal, we will discuss it in more detail. But this is a general idea, what is mursal hadith. There is also mursal sahabi, it means a mursal that's not transmitted from a tabi, but a mursal that's transmitted from a sahaba from a sahabi, a companion of the Prophet but it's more so because that sahabi didn't hear the hadith from the Prophet but he perhaps heard it from another sahabi so there's also a break in the chain the classification of hadith according to Mursal if it is Mursal of sahabi it may be accepted generally 
But if it is mursal of tabi, it is generally rejected, except in a few cases. And then we also have munqati'ah, which means a broken, a chain that has a break in it, whether in the beginning or in the middle or in the end. And we have al-mu'adal, weakened, it means also it has a break in the chain. But the difference between al-munqati'ah and al-mu'adal, al-mu'adal, it means that it has two consecutive links missing in the chain, two consecutive links. Whereas Munqati'ah, it may have one link missing, or it may have two but not consecutive. It may have a break in the beginning and a break in the end. But when they are consecutive, two consecutive breaks in the chain, then this is called Mu'adal. And all of these will be defined with more detail and with examples so that they will be crystal clear. Concerning critical remarks of the narrators related to their bab, their accuracy in narrating, or their adala, their trustworthiness in deen, whether they were religious, yani observing the requirements of the deen, they were known to be religious or pious people. Their adala, or their accuracy in narrating, their memory. Concerning these two matters, some of the scholars made remarks concerning the reporters of hadith, and they said that a person had a bad memory, or a person was a corrupt person, immoral, etc. If they said such statements like this concerning critical remarks concerning a narrator, this is a cause of the hadith to be rejected, whether his accuracy in narrating or his character in being. And the hadith under this category are many, and amongst them is the person who is known to be a liar. That hadith which contains in the chain of narrators one person who is known to be a liar, the hadith is rejected. It's considered as mawdu'ah, fabricated, forged rejected, no way it can be accepted. Even if the whole rest of the chain was the most reliable narrated, but if there is one liar in the chain, it's rejected, Mawdu'a. And another type come under here is the person who has been accused of lying. It hasn't necessarily been proved, but he has been accused of lying. In that case, his character is doubtful and his reports are questionable. The hadith narrated by such a person, or the chain of narratives that contain one narrator, who has been accused of lying is called matruq. It is also rejected. It's not accepted. It's a little less than mawdu'a, but it's also a very serious criticism for which a hadith can never be accepted. And, it, and these hadith mawdu'a or matruq, such hadith which have severe or serious defects, cannot be raised up from da'if to hasan or da'if to sahih. It cannot be raised up because the defect in it is too serious. But when it's a minor defect in a hadith that's classified as da'if, then we may raise it up due to supporting other narrations. And the last uh, consideration why a hadith may be considered uh, da'if is even though there's no break in the chain and there's no critical remark made about the narrator, but his reliability in reporting has not been confirmed so it's questionable. We don't know. This is a jihala. So for that reason also, a hadith would be rejected or considered da'if. Okay. After this category of hadith or the consideration of hadith related to whether or not it is acceptable or rejected, the hadith maqbul, acceptable, or khabar, mardud, rejected. After this, there's another consideration relating to the source or authority from which the hadith is related. Yani, it means when a report came to us and somebody said, this is a saying from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The authority that this 
information came from is the Messenger of Allah. It is classified by a certain classification, Marfu'ah. Marfu'ah. Here he classifies, he translates Marfu'ah as elevated or raised up. It is from the word Rafa'ah. It is attributed or raised up as a statement of the Prophet If it stopped, for example, as the Sahaba, Sahabi, yani somebody said that Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu said such and such and so and so. They didn't say that Ali said the Prophet said it, but they stopped at Ali. It is a saying of Sahabi. This is classified as mawquf, stopped or suspended. It stops without being raised up to the Prophet If the Sahabi attributes to the Prophet, then it's marfu'ah. But if he leaves it at himself as a saying of Sahabi, we say it is mawquf. And if it stops at the level before that of the Tabi'een, not even being attributed to a Sahabi, then this one is called maqtu'ah, from qata'ah, to cut off, severed or cut off. So, uh, these categories, and also the first of them which I didn't mention, al-Hadith al-Qudsi, which is reported, a statement reported from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-Hadith al-Qudsi, sometimes they refer to it as Hadith ilahi, or whatever, these terminologies mean that the statement is not attributed as a statement of the Prophet ﷺ, but is a, a statement attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. And sometimes the Prophet ﷺ said, the, uh, the reporter said that we heard the Prophet ﷺ say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. Or the Prophet ﷺ said that my Lord tabaraka wa ta'ala said. When he attributed something to, the, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is al-Hadith al-Qudsi. So, this matter is relating to the source or the authority from whom the Hadith is related. It is al-Hadith al-Qudsi, if it is the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Marfu'ah, if it is attributed to the Prophet Al-Mawquh, if it is attributed to a Sahabi. And Al-Maqtu'ah, if it is attributed to a Tabi'i, yani students of Sahaba. Then there are some other categories which are of importance, other categories of Hadith which may be acceptable or rejected. Yani, these categories are categories that don't refer to whether or not the hadith is acceptable or unacceptable. The first of them is al-musnad, supported. And the second of them is al-mutfasl, continuous. These two categories, a hadith may be classified as musnad, and it doesn't mean that it's sahih or da'if. A musnad hadith can be sahih, and it can also be da'if. So there's no reference here to whether or not the hadith is rejected or accepted, but it is only a reference to a certain matter concerning the hadith itself. Al-Musnad, it means a hadith that has two characteristics. Al-Musnad, and we will discuss all of these in detail as I said. Al-Musnad, it refers to hadith which is first marfu'an. Marfu'an means what? It's attributed to the Prophet And second, it is muttasal. It has a complete chain. A complete chain. There's no break in it. If a hadith has a complete chain of narratives and it goes all the way back to the Prophet, we say it is muttasal, complete chain, no break in it, and it is marfu'an, attributed to the Prophet. When these two characteristics come together, we say it is musnad. Musnad. But if one of them is missing, it has a different name. If it just has a complete chain, then the second category comes into play. It is at muttasal, if it has a complete chain. But a hadith may have a complete chain going to a sahaba. 
And it has a complete chain, but it's not attributed to the Prophet, it's not marfu'a. It's mawkuf. So that is called muttasal, but it's not called musnad. Because musnad has to have two things, muttasal and also marfu'a attributed to the Prophet If a hadith is attributed to the Prophet they said that Imam Malik said, that An-Nafi said, that the Prophet said. It's attributed to the Prophet, it's marfu'a, but it's not muttasal. There's a break. Because Nafi is not Sahabi. So there's a break between Nafi and the Prophet. There has to be a Sahabi there. So that break in the chain means that it's attributed to the Prophet, it's Marafu'an, but it's not Muttasal. So we don't say it's Musnad. We just say it's Marafu'an. But we don't say Musnad. Musnad means it has to be both Marafu'an and also Muttasal. Attributed to the Prophet and with a complete chain of narrators. I know that by now, we must be getting headaches. <laughs> All of this uh, definition. <laughs> but my intention here is to introduce some important terminology before we actually go into the book. In the book we will discuss all of these terminologies in detail. We will give the definitions, explanation of the definitions, examples that clarify the meaning of it. All of this will be mentioned. But here at least you have an idea what we are going to deal with. These are some of the main categories or perspectives that we may look at a hadith from, related to the number of narratives at each level, or in consideration of whether the hadith is accepted or rejected, or in consideration of the authority from whom it is reported, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or from the Prophet or from Sahaba radiallahu anhu ajma'in, or so on. Uh, the third point that we want to discuss this evening is, or it's not a point, but actually we want to open the book and to start with the forward of the book and the author's introduction. The forward of the book deals with the preservation of the Qur'an and preservation of the Sunnah. How the Qur'an and the Sunnah were both preserved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the author's introduction deals with a brief history of Mustalah Hadith and it deals with a discussion of what is Mustalah Hadith and which he explains what we have just finished talking about but in a different way. He explained it in a different way, but I explained it in this way to give you an overall perspective. And then he will explain Mustalah Hadith as he will cover it. And he will give an outline of how he will cover it in the book. And the third point is Rijal al-Hadith or Amul Rijal, which deals with the biographies of the narratives of Hadith. So uh, let us begin now with the beginning of the book, the forward of the author. Uh, and we will try to bring some clarification to what he is saying here. Sheikh Suhaib, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect him, preserve him. Uh, and I guess I really should have pre- uh, prepared some biography of the Sheikh, but I didn't find anything in writing concerning his life. So I will just mention what I know about him. Sheikh Suhaib Hassan, he is uh, originally from Pakistan. He studied at the Islamic University in Medina maybe about 25 years ago, and a long time. And he was in the university at the time when Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Baz was the president of the university, and Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin al Albani was a teacher in the university, and Sheikh Muhammad al Amin al Shamkiti was a teacher in the university. At the time when there were major scholars in the world gathered together in the city of Medina teaching at the Islamic University. At that time, Sheikh Suhaib's father was also a professor in the Islamic University in Medina. And he graduated from the university, and then he was sent by Dar al-Iftar 
he was sent to various places in the world to work in Dawah. And finally he ended up in England where he has been for a long time uh, calling to Islam and teaching the people. He's written a number of books. I think some of them may be mentioned in the back of uh, this book. Some of his books are mentioned here or at least the Quran series is mentioned here. But not the other books. But there are some other books that he has written. A number of books and from amongst them is uh, one of the books on our booklet here. The, uh, the study of hadith uh, for the critical study of hadith uh, study of hadith from the Muslim perspective and the critical study of Ibn Majah this is also one of his books and he's written a number of other books including uh, from the translation of Al-Aqidah, Al-Tahawiyah and uh, numerous other essays Sheikh Suhaib by the way is living now and he is and he's working with the Dawah in England. He begins, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. All praise be to Allah, Lord of the worlds, peace and blessings of Allah be upon our Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and his family and his companions. And then he quotes the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hijr, chapter 15, verse 9. the Khulaf al-Rashidin, that is Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali, and particularly Abu Bakr, it was in his time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided them to preserve the Qur'an by compiling it into one volume. At that time the Qur'an had been scattered in different pieces, portions of it with this person and portions of it with that person, some of it written on skins of animals, some of it written on the barks of trees and so on, whatever they could write on at that time, but it wasn't collected together in one book. Therefore Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu ordered that the Qur'an be collected and compiled into a single volume and later on copies of it in the time of Uthman ibn Affan anhu, were copied and sent to every major center in the Muslim world. Here he says, he safeguarded it from corruption by its enemies and corruption from the enemies of Islam, disbelievers, heretics and false prophets by enabling millions of believers to commit it to memory with ease. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also made it easy for the Quran to be memorized and this was another means of the Qur'an being preserved. It was first preserved in writing and secondly it was preserved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making it easy to memorize. So that millions of Muslims all over the world, even from the non-Arabic speaking people, millions of people memorized the Qur'an who couldn't even speak Arabic but they memorized the whole text of the Qur'an. This is something we cannot say about the Bible. If we can find even a handful who memorized the Bible it would be amazing. If we can find a handful you can find a few maybe who memorized the New Testament. I, I heard one once, one Christian in America, he had memorized the New Testament. But did you find any memorizing the whole Bible or how many of them? Even if you found one or two or three or ten or twenty. But millions, it's not there. And even the memorization of the Bible, the Bible is, it, it, it isn't even agreed upon what is the Bible. The Catholics have one version of the Bible and the Protestants have a different version. The Catholics have so many books Yani 66 and the Protestants have more than that extra books and so on. So it's even yani, impossible for them to do so. He also protected his teachings by causing thousands of people of knowledge to learn from its deep treasures and convey them to the masses and by sending renewers of the deen, yani, mujaddidun at the beginning of every century as the Prophet said that Allah will raise up at the beginning of every century or at the head of every century a mujaddid who would revive the deen. So the scholars of Islam and those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to revive the, revive the deen, those people also played a role, a great role in preserving 
the Quran and in preserving the Sunnah. But here the Shaykh is talking about the Quran and then he says, just as the Quran was preserved, similarly, Allah preserved the Sunnah by enabling the companions, Sahaba, and those after them, the Tabi'een, to memorize, write down, and pass on the statements of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu and the descriptions of his way, and his actions and his approvals, as well as to continue the blessings, and this is very important, to continue the blessings of practicing the Sunnah, Al-Amal Bihi, yani practicing it, not only memorizing it and writing it, but also by practicing it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved the sunnah through the Muslim scholars. They're memorizing, they're writing down, passing it on, and practicing it. Later, as the purity of the knowledge of the sunnah became threatened, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the Muslim nation to produce outstanding individuals of incredible memory skills and analytical expertise who journeyed tirelessly to collect hundreds of thousands of narrations and distinguish the true words, true words of precious wisdom of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, from those corrupted by weak memories, from forgeries of unscrupulous liars, and from the statements of the enormous number of ulama, the companions and those who followed their way, who had taught in various centers of learning and helped to transmit the legacy of Muhammad All of this achieved through precise attention to the words narrated and detailed familiarity with the biographies of the thousands of reporters of hadith. Action being the best way to preserve teaching, the renewers of Islam also revived the practice of the blessed authentic sunnah. And here is, this is in reference to the scholars who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised up in the early generation of the Muslims in the time of the Tabi'een and Atba'at Tabi'een and the famous scholars of hadith like Al-Bukhari and Muslim that these people had incredible memories and the ability to analyze and to inspect and to review that which has been attributed to the Prophet to memorize it and to examine it and they traveled throughout the lands to many different countries collecting thousands, hundreds of thousands of narrations and here hundreds of thousands of narrations should not be misunderstood to mean that there are hundreds of thousands of hadith of the Prophet and sayings of the Prophet there are not hundreds of thousands of sayings of the Prophet not hundreds of thousands but actually the meaning here hundreds of thousands of hadith it means hundreds of thousands of asani isnad hundreds of thousands of isnad and for every metan the text of the hadith there are many isnad sometimes two or three sometimes four or five sometimes ten or twenty or thirty or fifty for one metan those fifty chains of narrators are called fifty hadith so when we say a hundred thousand hadith we don't mean that there's a hundred thousand texts from the Prophet. But we mean that there are a hundred thousand isnad that lead to a smaller number of reports from the Prophet Yani, a great majority, an overwhelming majority of the hadith of the Prophet are collected in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed. And the Musnad of Imam Ahmed contains 40,000 hadith. And those 40,000 hadith are 40,000 chains of narratives, not 40,000 different texts. Many of them are repetitions, reported through different chains. The Sahih of Al-Bukhari only has 7,000 7, something narrations or asani. But if you uh, 
Look at the repetition of hadith, you will only find about 2,000 hadith reported in the Sahih al-Bukhari. And likewise in Sahih Muslim, though he has reported 12,000 asani, but if you count how many hadith are there, there are less than 4,000 hadith. So when we say hundreds of thousands of hadith, we don't mean that there are hundreds of thousands of reports from the Prophet ﷺ, but we, this is a reference to the chains of narrators that lead to those reports. These scholars collected those hundreds of thousands of narrations through different chains of reports and they distinguished the true from the false, especially from the age of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari. From the time of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, uh, who was born in the end of the second century of the Hijra in the year 196, from his time started the age or the period of As-Sahih, when the scholars began to distinguish, to make a concerted effort to distinguish between the authentic from the unauthentic hadith. Before that, the scholars were primarily trying to collect all of the hadith. But in the time of Bukhari and Muslim, they began to identify or to separate the authentic from the unauthentic. And the reasons for the uh, falsification of hadith, he alludes to here by saying weak memories. Some of it wasn't intentional, intentional but some of the narrators had weak memories and they forgot. And therefore they attributed something to the Prophet that wasn't from him because they changed the words or added or left out something. Sometimes it was actually liars who intentionally ascribed to the Prophet something that wasn't from him. And other times it was due to the mixing of the sayings of the scholars or the Sahaba, mixing them with the sayings of the Prophet and this was the work of that generation of scholars separating that those which have been attributed due to weak memory, those which have been falsely ascribed intentionally, and those which got mixed up between the sayings of the scholars or sayings of Sahaba from the sayings of the Prophet and they divided it into categories. They said that which was really a statement of Sahabi, they said this is mawkuf, it's not from the Prophet And that which was attributed to a tabi, they said it's maktur. And that which was really a saying of the Prophet, they said is marfu'ah. And all of this we will discuss in more detail. Uh, then he says, unfortunately, however, unfortunately, in spite of this great effort that was made, statements were made and will continue to be attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, although the person quoting them may have no idea what the people of knowledge of hadith have ruled regarding these ahadith. Thus, ironically, being in danger of contravening the Prophet ﷺ widely narrated stern warnings about attributing incorrect or unsound statements to him. Yani the Prophet ﷺ said, من كذب علي متعمدا فليتبوع مقعده من النار Whoever lies on me intentionally, then let him know that he is guaranteed a seat in the fire. This is a stern warning from the Prophet ﷺ that was reported by innumerable companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Those people who yani, ignorantly or without consideration just attribute whatever they hear to the Prophet ﷺ take the chance of falling into the mistake of attributing something incorrect or something that is unauthentic to the Prophet ﷺ and take the chance of falling into this punishment. As the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ حَدَّكَ عَنِّي بِحَدِيثٍ يُرَى أَنَّهُ كَذِبٍ فَهُوَ أَحَدُ الْكَاذِبِينَ or كَاذِبَينَ Whoever reports from me something that he thinks يُرَى أَوْ يَظُنُّ he thinks that it may be untrue. 
He is not sure. But there is a possibility. He doesn't give any consideration, doesn't matter. He just reports it anyway, without confirming its authenticity, then he is one of the liars. Yani either he's someone who intentionally lied on the Prophet, or if he did it unintentionally, then he's also one of the liars. He's someone who's passed on lies. So either way, whether the person did it intentionally or unintentionally, he falls into the category of those who have lied on the Prophet wasallam. And as we said previously, the statement of the Prophet وسلم, recorded by Imam Muslim in his introduction, كَفَى بِالْمَرْعِ كَذِبًا أَنْ يُحَدِّثَ بِكُلِّ مَا سَمِعَ It is sufficient for a person to be considered a liar. It is considered for a person to be considered one of those liars if he merely reports everything that he hears. Whoever reports everything that they hear, even in worldly affairs, he may be considered as a liar. Because some of what he hears will be true and some of it will be false. What about the one who reports everything he hears from the Prophet ﷺ? He reports everything that has been attributed to the Prophet ﷺ without consideration of whether or not it is true. He would certainly be considered amongst the liars. From amongst those things that have been attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, sometimes truly and sometimes falsely, the Shaykh mentions examples of how the people quote many things from the Prophet ﷺ without making a distinction between whether or not it's authentic, without knowing what the scholars of hadith have said about it. Here are some very commonly quoted hadith which actually vary tremendously in their degree of authenticity from the Prophet ﷺ. The first hadith he mentions, Surah Al-Ikhlas is, is worth or equal to a third of the Qur'an. Probably most of us have heard this hadith before and we don't know maybe is it authentic or not and we need to begin to examine and to know Alhamdulillah this is one of the authentic hadith attributed to the Prophet reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim the second hadith the hadith about the 99 names of Allah there are various hadith about the 99 names of Allah some of them said Allah has 99 names whoever memorized them or 100 minus 1 names whoever memorized them Tisara Tis'in whoever memorized them they will be they will enter paradise there are other narrations that actually outline the names of Allah, the 99 names of Allah. As for those hadith which report the fact that Allah has 99 names, from amongst His names there are 99 whoever memorized them into paradise. There are authentic narrations reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, Al-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah and others. And from amongst those reports which reported the list of 99 names, those hadith are unauthentic. Yani the listing of the names is unauthentic. But the hadith that Allah has so many names from amongst them, there are 99 who have memorized them into paradise, it is authentic. Also, from amongst that which has been attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, he said that Allah says, this is what? The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah says, this is a hadith Qudsi. Allah says, I was a hidden treasure and I wish to be known, so I created a creation, yani mankind, then made myself known to them and they recognized me. Perhaps you may have heard this statement. Be, let it be known that it is not a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. It is not a statement of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. But as the scholars of Hadith said, لا أصل له. It doesn't have any origin in the Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Means it is a fabrication. There is no authentic report of it, nor weak report of it. It doesn't have any origin in the narrations of hadith. Also, that which has been attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah says, were it not for you, that is Muhammad ﷺ, I would not have created the universe. 
you'll find many of the Sufi people quoting such statements that the universe was created for the Prophet ﷺ. It is Mawdu'ah, fabricated, forged. Also, amongst those statements, when Allah created, completed creation, He wrote a book which is with Him above His throne. And He said in His verity, My mercy will prevail or overcome my wrath. This is a very commonly reported statement from the Prophet ﷺ from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is authentic. It is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Likewise from amongst that which has been reported from the Prophet ﷺ from Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said neither my heaven nor my earth can contain me but the heart of my believing slave can contain me. Neither the heavens or the earth can contain me but the heart of my believing slave a slave can contain me. This, the scholars of Hadith said, La aslahu. It has no basis, no origin. It is unfounded. Even the meaning of it is unacceptable to say that the heart of a human being can contain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Akbar, Allah Uh, also, from amongst the hadith that he mentions is number eight or number seven, he who knows himself knows his Lord. This is not confirmed from the Prophet ﷺ. It is mawdu'a, fabricated. Where is Allah? And is that it has been reported in the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said, where is Allah? And although many of the later scholars and many of the people today reject this uh, question, and say that people shouldn't ask where is Allah but it is authentically narrated from the Prophet ﷺ in the Sahih of Muslim that he asked a slave girl Ain Allah and when she said Sama, that Allah is in the heavens he asked her who am I she said Anta Rasulullah then he said free her for she is a believer Mu'mina so the question is a question from the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, and the answer to it is a confirmation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his al-ulu or his loftiness or being high above all of his creation love of one's homeland is a part of iman it is fabricated love of one's homeland is a part of iman I am the city of knowledge and Ali is its gate is also fabricated my companions are like stars whichever of them you follow you will be guided is fabricated. Differing, the differing amongst my ummah is a mercy. And many of the scholars of fiqh and people who concern themselves with fiqh use this hadith as a proof that ikhtilaf or differences amongst the people is good. And they said that the Prophet ﷺ said the differing amongst my ummah is a mercy. But it is false. La afdullah. It doesn't have any or isnad. La isnad lahu. And so on. So many of the hadith, the most, one of the most famous of them is paradise is under the feet of mothers actually it is da'if though there is an authentic narration that a man was going to jihad and he asked the Prophet ﷺ after informing him for some advice he said I'm going to jihad and the Prophet ﷺ asked him do you have a mother? he said yes he said stay with your mother because paradise is under her feet but as for the report that paradise is under the feet of mothers in general it is unauthentic although the meaning may be understood from the other more authentic report. Seeking knowledge, even if you go to China, it is fabricated. Seeking knowledge is a duty on every Muslim, 
is Hassan Lagayrihi. What does Hassan Lagayrihi mean? Hassan Lagayrihi. Now, it means that originally the chain of narratives is, has some defect for which it is considered to be weak. But because the weakness is slight, it's not a great weakness, therefore when other supporting narrations came, then it's raised up to Hassan, but we say it is Hassan Lagayrihi. The Shaykh closes by saying the methodology of the expert scholars of hadith in assessing such narration and sorting out the genuine from the mistaken or fabricated forms the subject matter of a wealth of material left to us by the muhaddithun, the scholars of hadith or traditionists. This short treatise is a humble effort to introduce this extremely wide subject to English readers. The author has derived great benefit from the outstanding scholarly from the outstanding scholarly work in this field, Muqaddama ibn Salah, is a very important book of Musalah Hadith, and many other books, most of the books of Musalah Hadith after ibn Salah are based on his book, either abbreviations of it, explanations of it, or rewriting the information of it in poetry form and so on. Most of those who came after him relied upon his book, the Muqaddama of ibn Salah. A brief explanation of the verdict of the experts or verdicts from the experts in this field on the above hadith is given in the appendix at the end of the book you can look at those hadith which uh, we didn't mention just to compare uh, those which are authentic from those which are unauthentic and it close we ask Allah to accept this work and make it beneficial to its readers Ameen Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk if there are any comments or questions or corrections quickly before we leave Maybe we can just take a minute or two. Uh, uh, is, is there anything that was left unclear or anything that someone wants to add or to correct? Now, Father. Yeah, Mujaddid, it is uh, a term that refers to the people who would come in every century. And their work would be focused upon correcting those mistakes that the people came with or rejecting those innovations that were brought into the deen reviving it meaning bringing it back to its, origi- its original teachings and they came in every century there came some people not necessarily one person they may be a group of people they may be more than one in every century Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always sent some people who would do this work of tajdeed revival of the deen bringing it back to its original teachings and original ways <laughs> the knowledge is going to be dried up but that's no doubt it is a sign of the last days that knowledge will be taken by the death of the scholars uh, and uh, the revival of the deen even in the last days it is taking place even in our time we see that there are people who are calling back to the correct sunnah and the correct aqidah and the correct ways of the Prophet Muhammad now rejected yeah rejected mardud it means those which are unacceptable because they have some weakness because they have some defect that weakness it might be in the chain of narratives it breaks in the beginning or the middle or the end or otherwise or it may be that some of the reporters it may have a complete chain but some of the reporters in that particular chain have some weakness weakness in memory in accuracy in reporting 
or other weakness, defects in their character or so on. They could be from the people of Bid'ah, they could have been accused of lying in their worldly affairs and therefore their narration of hadith is questionable. Or they, it may have been confirmed that they are lying and so on. Yani rejected, it means those hadith which we do not accept, either due to some weakness or we know that it's fabricated. Now, you must see. Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab is considered by many of the people today as one of the revivers of deen as a mujaddid in this time and in the past century now he is considered as a mujaddid primarily because of the work that he did in removing the false ideas false beliefs and, and innovative practices uh, in the Arabian Peninsula particularly and in the home of Islam where the revelation came from in, Saudi, in the Arabian Peninsula he came and he cleaned up the falsehood and innovations and false beliefs that the people were engaged in especially grave worship and many acts of innovation grave worship was widespread in the Arabian Peninsula in the time of Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab and due to his effort and the work that he did of revival it was removed until you can hardly find any trace of it today I say you can hardly find any trace of it, but I can say there is no trace of it. <laughs> Who can confirm it? In any case, it's not something that is necessarily confirmed. There may be difference of opinion. Some people may consider someone a mujaddid and others don't consider it so. But the work of the mujaddid, it, it can be identified primarily by the teaching of that person. What they called to and what they did and the effect of their work if they actually brought the people back to the correct practices in deen and alleviated or eliminated innovations and corrected the false beliefs and aqidah and brought back the correct aqidah usually if a person was effective in correcting those things in a society whether in a locality or in a nation or otherwise usually they could be considered under the title of mujaddid Maybe a minor mujaddid or a major mujaddid, according to how effective and widespread yani, their work was. And there are many who came, there are so many, so many. That's the primary way to determine. We will look at their work, what they taught and what they did. Primarily in aqidah and in practices, in worship. Huh? Yes, if we see that what they were practicing and calling people to is in agreement with the Sunnah, then we will accept them. If we see that what they were teaching the people of belief, it is from the Quran and Sunnah and understanding of Sahaba, we will accept them. But if we see that they are claiming to be reviving the deen and they are actually bringing in new things, then we will reject it. <laughs> Revival doesn't mean bring new things. Tajdeed doesn't mean making jadeed something new, but it means actually taking us back to the original sources. The people of Ahl Sunnah, no. Okay.